bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, July 23rd, 2013. In general news this week, I'll have an update on tax reform as well as the debt ceiling. In our new market tax credit section, I'll begin with an update on the upcoming 11th round of new market tax credit allocation applications. In our renewable energy tax credit discussion, I'll review the provisions of a bill introduced last week to amend the tax code to make certain biomass energy eligible for the investment tax credit. Then, in our low income housing tax credit segment, I'll discuss the set of principles related to housing finance reform that were released last week by a group of House Democrats. I'll also summarize key points about a rule proposed by HUD last week to amend fair housing practices. And finally, in our historic tax credit discussion, I'll share news about historic tax credit activity in Missouri, where new data shows that activity under the program was relatively flat in fiscal year 2013. So if you're ready, let's get started. In general news, last week at the Economics Club in Washington, D.C., House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp, along with Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus, both said that a tax reform bill has more than a 50% chance of passing both houses. Chairman Camp also suggested that a tax bill would first be addressed in the House. However, Chairman Baucus thought that wasn't necessarily so. Baucus said this as he and Senator Hatch are awaiting submissions from fellow senators as to their ideas for tax reform. As you'll recall, July 26th is the deadline for United States senators to submit to Senator Hatch and Senator Baucus their thoughts on what should be part of tax reform, this part of Senator Baucus and Hatch's blank slate approach to tax reform in the Senate. It still remains to be seen how many senators will actually submit letters. And, as I've also previously reported, all member submissions are currently scheduled to be kept private. I also note that Chairman Baucus, along with Chairman Dave Camp in the House, will continue their tax reform tour. On July 29th, they plan to make a joint visit to Philadelphia where they'll meet with some small businesses. I also note that last week more than 125 Republicans voice support for Chairman Camp to move forward with a tax reform bill that was more extensive and more comprehensive, or at least as comprehensive and as extensive as possible. We'll continue to follow t- developments in tax reform, and we'll report more on the Senate letters next week as we get a final tally of those senators, or at least publicly, are saying that they're going to submit private letters. Turning to the debt ceiling, 
Last week, the Bipartisan Policy Center updated its estimate as to when the Treasury Department's ability to use extraordinary measures to avoid the debt ceiling would be reached. The revised estimate is that the Treasury Department will have exhausted their ability to use these extraordinary measures by sometime between mid-October and mid-November. And as you know, the key with that deadline is something will have to give in Congress prior to that deadline or else the Congress, or the Treasury I should say, will be unable to pay its bills. So as we look towards the fall, we should be looking at September 30th as a key date because that's when the federal government's new budget needs to be in place or else there would be a government shutdown, as well as the expiration of the debt ceiling sometime in mid-October to mid-November and look for some serious negotiations between the House and the President to take place in advance of both those deadlines. In new market tax credit news, community development professionals continue to eagerly await the release of the Notice of Allocation Availability, or NOAA, for the 11th round of new market tax credit applications. Reports continue to suggest that the NOAA could be released sometime this month. Based on previous allocation rounds, it's likely that interested parties will have 60 days or so from the release of the NOAA to complete applications. So that would imply an application deadline sometime around the end of September. In the 11th round, $3.5 billion in tax credit allocation authority will be available. And if this round is anything like the 10 preceding rounds, competition for those tax credits will be intense. In every allocation application round to date, the new market tax credit has been incredibly oversubscribed. And that starts with the very first application round. In 2002, the first round, 345 applicants requested more than $25.8 billion, or at the time, more than 10 times the available tax credit authority. And in the intervening decade, demand has continued to greatly exceed supply. As recent as 2012, 2,082 applicants requested approximately $21.9 billion. That was more than six times the amount of allocation authority available. Now, as soon as the NOAA is released for this 11th application round, I'll tweet and I'll link to Novograd and Company's website, as well as we'll send a breaking news alert to industry alert email subscribers. You can sign up for this complimentary, that's free, email service online at www.novaco.com. Also, within 10 to 15 days of the NOAA's release, we're going to host an application webinar. Stay tuned for details as to the actual date of that webinar. And in the meantime, on July 31st, that's next week, we'll host a webinar entitled NMTC 101, The Basics. That webinar is an ideal way to prime yourself and your team for the upcoming application round. You can register online at www.novaco.com slash webinars. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, last week, Representative Mike Mashad introduced the Biomass Thermal Utilization, or BTU, Act of 2013. The bill would allow biomass energy to be eligible for the Renewable Energy Tax Credit. In a statement about the bill's introduction, Representative Mashad said that in addition to incentivizing the expansion, a biomass energy use in general, the bill is a win-win for the economy and consumers. 
The BTU Act would amend the federal tax code at both a residential and a commercial level. On the residential side, it would expand the Residential Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit to include biomass fuel property that operates at a thermal efficient rate of at least 75%. And on the commercial level, it would expand the Commercial Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit to include open-loop biomass heating property, offering a larger tax credit for those properties that operate at output efficiencies greater than 80%. Representative Mashad's bill is the House companion to a bill Senator Angus King introduced in the Senate on May 22nd. Copies of the bill can be found online at www.energytaxcredits.com. In low-income housing tax credit news, last week, a group of House Democrats, led by Financial Services Committee ranking member Maxine Waters, released a set of critical core principles they believe should be part of legislative efforts to address the future of housing finance reform. Throughout this year, Democrats on the Financial Services Committee have held a series of briefings, roundtables, and caucuses on housing finance reform, and the principles released last week were developed during these meetings, and they're intended to guide their consideration of housing finance reform proposals. One of the principles featured in the document is to ensure access to affordable rental housing. In the section that addresses this principle, the group says that housing finance reform should ensure a stable and liquid secondary mortgage market for loans secured by multifamily residential properties. The group also says reform should support affordable housing by funding, that's right, funding the National Housing Trust Fund, as well as the Capital Magnet Fund, and ensure that funding is appropriately targeted to very low and extremely low-income families. A copy of these core principles can be found online at www.novaco.com slash hot topics. Simply click on the LIHTC tab and then follow the GSE reform link. In other affordable housing news, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development announced a proposed rule last week aimed at improving fair housing practices. According to the notice, HUD is proposing the rule because it says current fair housing practices haven't been as effective as envisioned. If implemented, the rule will refine and clarify existing requirements to help HUD program participants comply with fair housing guidelines more effectively. The proposed rule has five key strategies. The first, replace the required analysis of impediments evaluation with the more standardized assessment of fair housing, through which program participants can discern fair housing challenges and goals using regional and national benchmarks. Two, provide data that program participants must consider in their assessment of fair housing. Data such as patterns of integration, segregation, discrimination, racially and ethnically concentrated areas of poverty, access to education, employment, transportation, environmental health, disproportionate housing needs, and individuals with disabilities and families with children. Three, clarify the standards of the assessment of fair housing and provide guidance on how they'll be evaluated. Four, explicitly incorporate fair housing planning into the consolidated plan and the public housing agency's annual plan. And five, 
establish a new HUD review procedure with technical guidance and clear explanation of standards. Using these guidelines and data, program participants, HUD believes, can identify the primary causes of problems and create fair housing priorities and goals. Now it's currently unclear how these fair housing guidelines would affect low-income housing tax credit properties. We'll continue to monitor that and we'll report back as we get more insight. I should note, comments on the proposed rule may be submitted to HUD by mail or electronically at www.regulations.gov. The deadline is September 17th. You can find a copy of the rule at www.hudresourcecenter.com. And if you have thoughts on how this rule should apply to low-income housing tax credit properties, please send us an email to cpas at novaco.com. In historic tax credit news, we have an update from Missouri, where the state historic tax credit program has been a perennial hot topic. Missouri state officials authorized $93.9 million in state historic tax credits in fiscal year 2013. This according to an article last week in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. $85.4 million of that amount went to large projects. Missouri's historic tax credit program is similar to the federal in that it provides a 25% tax credit on eligible costs incurred in rehabilitating an historic structure. The program is capped overall in the state at $140 million. Out of 164 projects that received state historic tax credits, 120 were in the city of St. Louis. 20 were in Jackson County, and Jackson County includes the city of Kansas City. Four were in St. Louis County, and the rest were spread across the state of Missouri. Projects in the city of St. Louis received $65 million in historic tax credits. There's a few notable developments, which include a telephone factory that's being converted into lab space. That development is using $14.9 million in state historic credits. There's rehabilitation being made to Union Station, which, by the way, was once the largest passenger rail terminal in the world and is a mixed-use center with a hotel, shopping center, and entertainment venues. Also, there's the conversion of the chemical building into a mixed-use building with retail stores on the first level and 120 apartments above. In addition to these figures about fiscal year 2013, we have some related information about use of the historic tax credit in calendar year 2012. In June, the Missouri Department of Economic Development released its annual tax credit accountability report. That report said that nearly $100 million in historic preservation tax credits were issued in calendar year 2012. That report also noted that the state historic tax credit created nearly 1,000 full-time jobs and nearly 600 part-time jobs in Missouri, that between the time period of July 1, 2010 and June 30, 2011. Missouri, as many of you may know, is one of more than 30 states that offer a state-level historic tax credit. And if you want more information about various state-level historic tax credit programs, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. Also, I want to invite you to join Novograd & Company in Detroit in September. 
we're going to hold the Novogratic Historic Tax Credit Conference then. There will be numerous topics, including a panel that discusses state historic tax credits. And then we'll also have the latest on Historic Boardwalk Hall. Hopefully, by that time, we'll have a release of a final revenue procedure from the IRS that addresses a number of the Historic Boardwalk Hall issues. You can get a detailed agenda of the Historic Tax Credit Conference at www.novaco.com events. Obviously, you can also register online there. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik & Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com. Dot novaco.com.